This week's guest went from working in the fashion industry to running banks. We talked to Josephine Moran about her fascinating journey that led to becoming president and CEO of Ledyard National Bank. I'm Matt Mowry, co-publisher and executive editor of Business NH Magazine and Granite Media Group. And I'm Christine Kerrigan, co-publisher of Business NH Magazine and chief creative officer for Granite Media Group. And welcome to BizCast NH. So, Christine, in light of our guest name and financials, Mm -hmm. let's talk about what we've been going through of late, (laughs) budgeting. Budgeting, yes. As one year into our entrepreneurial journey is our second big budget that we're putting together. Yeah. It's been interesting. It has, because (laughs) because when we put it together um, the first time, it was... The only thing we were doing is sort of looking ahead. This was before we bought the company, and we were um, based on kind of information we got from the previous company, right. kind of guesstimating a lot of where we thought things were going to be. And this is, I feel, our first, we've had a full year of owning the company. So we have a full year of numbers and, and financials that we can look back on when we're planning our budget for 2024. Um, not that that makes it any easier, because it's nice to have those numbers from last year, but it is a little bit of fortune telling, it feels like sometimes. Yes. We're trying to guess at where you think the year's going to go and what you think's going to happen based on, you know, your plans. So it has been a, it's, it's eye-opening for sure. And it's been a, it's been an interesting process. It's been a long process. It has been. Yes. <laughs> and it was, it's interesting too, because, you know, when you think about a budget process, when you aren't involved in it, you know, you think of like someone sitting down and crunching the numbers from last year and, you know, adding percentages here and moving forward. But it's a much longer and strategic process than that, you know, and for publishing, for us, it was also sitting down and taking a look at like, who, you know, last year Q1 was a little rougher and then got better. What can we do to strengthen Q1? And so then you're looking at what kind of editorial products can we roll out that will be great for our readers, but attractive to advertisers? Mm -hmm. Or what kind of events can we prop up? Like we need to do more for Q1. And so when we're seeing that come to fruition, which is great, um, uh, and, and then you're going through and you're trying to kind of guesstimate best uh, based on last year and what trends are right now. Like, well, how much do we think this event will bring in? Will it bring in more? Can we cut expenses? What's right. that going to look like? And you want to be a little bit more conservative on what you think you're going to bring in and a little bit more extravagant on what you think you're going to spend just to kind of stay in that safety zone right. that you don't want to over extend yourself and then end up in in a rough situation. So yeah, we're right in the thick of it right now. We're we're right in the middle of of finalizing our 24 budget. And so um, it's definitely been an eye-opening experience. Absolutely. I'm glad we have a great, not only each other, I can't even imagine doing this alone, but (laughs) having a great team that we have with our accountant and with our bookkeeper Mm -hmm. and Having great team members and a great bank are always important. And on that note, I think it's time for us to get into a great discussion with today's guest. Definitely. Our guest this week is Josephine Moran, president and CEO of Ledyard National Bank in Hanover. Josephine joined Ledyard in 2022 as president and chief banking officer, and in 2023 succeeded Kathy Underwood as president and CEO. Josephine is a member of the Board of Directors, as well as a member of the Bank's Executive Committee. 
She has more than 25 years of leadership, community banking, investment services, and lending experience. She previously served as Executive Vice President, Chief Corporate Services, and Consumer Lending Officer at Provident Bank. She also served as the, as the Executive Vice President and Director of Retail Banking at Provident Bank, Senior Vice President, Regional Manager, and Retirement Services Director at Webster Bank, and EVP and Director of Retail Banking at Columbia Bank. Josephine was recently featured in Business NH Magazine's Top Women-Led Businesses in the October 2023 issue, and she was also named one of Industry Era's Top 10 Women Leaders in 2020. She has been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Independent Banker Magazine, Mid-Atlantic Banking, and in Thrive Global's Meet the Female Leaders of Finance series. Josephine was named New Jersey ROI Influencer in 2021, received the 2020 Middlesex County Boy Scouts Citizenship Award, and was named one of Staten Island's Top Businesswomen. Josephine, that's quite a resume. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Christine. Great to be here. So we're thrilled to have you here, and I think you have one of the most fascinating arcs of our guests, and I always love to see kind of how people come into their leadership positions, because it's not always a linear line. It often is very much anything but. So can you talk about uh, the career you did start in and how you got into it, and then let's get into how that led to banking. So. You started off in the fashion industry. I did. I did. So um, I grew up in North Bergen, New Jersey, um, and I wanted a career in fashion. So I went to school for a couple of years in actually Florida, which was um, a fashion school. And then I transferred back to New York uh, and went to the Fashion Institute of Technology and received my, my bachelor's degree there in, in, uh, in marketing and management in the fashion. So I wasn't a designer. Mm-hmm. I was always on the, the marketing management, merchandising sales side. And what attracted you to that? Um, I, I loved, you know, I loved fashion. Um, I loved people. I loved being in the front. You know, I found out that I had excellent people skills, customer experience skills. I also had really good merchandising skills. I could merchandise the whole store. I didn't even realize <laughs> that until I until I really got into it. But um, it, it just uh, tied in a lot of the things that I really loved. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was in the fashion business for about 10 years. Uh, so- a lot of the companies that I work for are out of business. <laughs> but... Um, because uh, during the 90s, some things changed. But, I mean, that's a decade that you spent doing that. I mean, so, so what did you love about it? What kept you uh, going in it for, for, for 10 years? It was definitely a very exciting industry, lots of change. Um, I got into management pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I was a pretty young manager, um, and I, I loved leading people. Uh, I loved training people. I loved developing people, but I also loved being with the the customers. So I loved the client experience, um, just the overall um, experience of being within that industry was always very, very exciting. It was ever changing. You had to change. I mean, it was a lot of hours, a lot of work. But I think the the people and um, and the industry itself, the combination along with the the client experience, is what really drew me to it. And as you point out, at a young age, you got a lot of leadership experience. Um, what were some of the most valuable lessons you took away from your ten years in the fashion industry? Well, I think you realize very quickly as a leader that everyone's not you. You have to realize that pretty quickly, um, and everyone 
has different um, things that are important to them, different things that motivate them, different ways of learning, different development, and also um, they have different career paths. So it's a very hard lesson to learn. Um, you also have to learn how to really separate being a leader and crossing the line with friendship. Mm. That's something that, especially at a, at a young age, is difficult to learn. But, um, you know, a couple of situations that occurred um, had me learn that quickly. Um, you know, you have to be able to draw the line when you are leading them versus, you know, you're going out with them, you're having a drink with them, and just be able to, 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 to draw that line. Um, I, you know, some of the other things that I learned is um, very transferable skills around how to deal with clients, how to create a great experience, um, how to lead and motivate and coach teams. And it just happened to be within an industry that I was very excited about and that I loved and that was ever-changing. And that helped me transfer skills to, you know, everything else that, that I did in later in life. So as you're saying, you had a lot of skills that were transferable. So after 10 years in the fashion industry, what was it that made you make that leap uh, from fashion into banking? So I was a young parent. I was, um, yeah, my son was an infant now that I think about it. Uh, he, I was um, really getting into investing, thinking about the future, college. I remember, you know, at that time that is when they were saying college is going to be, you know, 7% inflation, 14%. You have to start saving now that, you know, the, everything was changing in terms of what the future was going to bring, mm. and, uh, especially around planning for your future. And um, I happened to read a book um, by the uh, founder of uh, Primerica. It was Buy Term and Invest the Difference. And that book really spoke to me. And I said, wow, I really want to get into the finance industry. And I completely changed my career. I, um, I actually... I was living in Connecticut. I had moved to Connecticut. I was married, and um, and I had one child at the time. And uh, I registered to go get my master's. I found uh, a program at University of New Haven that I didn't want the back office finance. I wanted financial services. I wanted to be in the front lines with the clients, helping them, you know, solve um, their helping them with their financial needs. And um, University of New Haven happened to have that program. Everything else was back office finance, which I wasn't interested in doing accounting and things like that. Um, so I was getting my master's degree at night, slowly taking classes, and um, I got licensed. Um, I was doing long-term care insurance kind of on the side, um, you know, slowly getting into the industry. And... Um, I worked for a couple of financial services organizations before banking that did lending, you know, so I learned the credit side as well. And, um, and then in, uh, in 1999, I saw an ad in the newspaper for First Union Bank that said, um, if you're really good at dealing with clients, if you understand credit, um, and if you want to be licensed, you know, come and talk to us. So I'm like, oh, my God, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want to do. So I applied for um, 
for a position that was a financial specialist position at First Union. And um, I interviewed, and two hours later, they called me and told me that I had the position. Wow, I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was meant to be. <laughs> it was meant to be. So that tipping point is so hard for some people to get to. You know, especially your mom with a young kid, you've been in an industry that you've been established in for 10 years. There's some people that go, is this the time to rock the boat? You know, and it, it, no matter where you're in life, there's always that argument you have with yourself. What made you say, yes, it's time to push forward? Because, I mean, you weren't just looking at changing careers. You're going back to school, changing a whole new industry uh, and, and dealing with everything that comes with being a new parent. What pushed you forward to get through any self-doubt that there may have been, if there was any? You know, when I, when I really want to do something, I, I make up my mind and I'm pretty good at saying I'm going to do it and then I figure out how I'm going to do it. Um, you know, obviously we had to look at everything. Could I get a job right away that was transferable while I was doing some things at night? Um, and, you know, I, I, at the time I had, my, my husband was very supportive of what I was doing and, um, and, and I was able to do it. And, and I was the breadwinner. I was always the breadwinner in my house. So we also had to, to, to consider that. Um, but I was, I was able to, to quickly get roles that um, were very comparable in pay and, um, and get me to that journey until I got the job with First Union. And we'll be right back. Are you looking for quality networking in a fun environment? Join Business NH Magazine for the return of the ultimate Biz NH Bash at the McAuliffe Shepherd Discovery Center in Concord on March 28th. Meet leaders from New Hampshire's 2023 Top 100 Private Companies, Top Women-Led Businesses, Top Family-Owned Businesses, and New Hampshire's Startup Stars, plus the 40 influential leaders in New Hampshire as featured in the January issue of Business NH Magazine. Enjoy delicious appetizers and cocktails, explore museum exhibits, take fun photos in our photo booth, and mingle with the stars of New Hampshire business while gazing at the stars. For more information, visit businessnhmagazine.com slash events. Sponsored by Merchants Fleet, Northeast Delta Dental, Unitil, Ledyard Bank, Eversource, and UHY Advisors. Buy local at the 27th annual Made in New Hampshire Try It and Buy It Expo on April 5th, 6th, and 7th at the Doubletree by Hilton Expo Center in downtown Manchester. Browse a dazzling array of locally made products and sample tons of tasty treats. Purchase fine jewelry, clothing and accessories, bath and body products, handcrafted items for the home, one-of-a-kind art pieces, and more. And you'll be supporting local businesses. And don't forget to say hello to all the rescue animals at Live and Let Live Farm. Swing by the Libation Station to sample and buy wine, beer, mead, and spirits all made in the Granite State. So bring the entire family to the Made in New Hampshire Try It and Buy It Expo at the Doubletree by Hilton Expo Center on April 5th, 6th, and 7th. You won't believe what's made in New Hampshire. For more information or to apply to be a vendor, visit madeinnhexpo.com. Sponsored by Northeast Delta Dental and Business NH Magazine. And we're back. So we're continuing our conversation with Josephine Moran of Ledyard Bank, Ledyard National Bank. And so uh, we've just gotten to the point where you are now in the banking industry. You've landed that first job. What has kept you there 
um, and you, you continue to not only rise to the ranks, go to different organizations. Uh, you've covered various aspects of the industry over your career. What has kept you so involved in it? It's always the people. It's the people that you work with, and it's the clients that you serve. It really is. And again, it's an, it's an ever-changing industry. There's always, you have to be really adaptable. You have to want to change. Um, I had a great experience at First Union. It was First Union, Wachovia, Wells Fargo. I was able to really grow my career very quickly there. Um, my ability to connect with people, I think really that's really been the secret to my success is I have a, a very good ability to connect with people. So that's whether it's I'm leading the team, I'm partnering with somebody, or I'm helping a client. Um, and I was able to do all of that in banking. I was able to make a difference in, you know, in people's lives, whether I was leading them or whether we were helping a client. And you know, that's very, very important to me. Um, and that's what we do in banking. You know, we, we do help people. We, we, we provide solutions to, to make their lives better. And, um, and that's what I've been able to do, I think, throughout my entire career. Um, I, was, I, I had a very good mentor when I was at Wachovia mm -hmm. who really um, supported me. And I can tell you, honestly, in my career, I haven't had a lot of great bosses. So I learned a lot of what not to do, but I happened to have a very good mentor who helped me with my career. And, um, and uh, I was able to move up the ranks in Wachovia and Wells Fargo. And then, um, you know, I, I had opportunities from there. So that's um, an interesting thing. Let's explore that a little bit. So first of all, let's explore. We've all had bad bosses. And, <laughs> you know, people, there's that saying, people are either a, a blessing or a lesson. So um, <laughs> what were some of the lessons you learned from the, your bad bosses? What were the things you learned you didn't want to do or be? Yes, very good question. Um, I never wanted to create con contention among teams. Um, I wanted to create an environment where people really were safe with providing feedback. That, that's some of the things that, that I experienced. Like, you know, you go into a meeting and you really don't want to say anything because if you say something, it's not the right thing to say and you're going to, you know, you'll get spoken to later or you don't feel comfortable. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, micromanaging, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's something that um, some leaders do, you know, and and that was something that I did not want to do. So um, so I think that that also helped me look at things and say, okay, that's not the way I would have handled that. I'd like, how would I like it to be handled? And you know, know your audience and make sure that you're providing an environment where people really want to work. So what is your general leadership philosophy then, uh, kind of to build on that? Is there something you kind of guide yourself with uh, when you're leading your team? Um, well, I definitely like to empower people. That's really important to me. Um, you know, you hire talented people. You want them to do well. Um, support. You know, I kind of, I, I describe my, my leadership um, style as, you know, I'm visionary. I'm a servant leader. Um I, I, I like to kind of push people out of their comfort zone because I know that they can do a little bit more, but give them the support and the tools that they need in mm -hmm. order to, you know, kind of push themselves to, to where they could get to if that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. 
you know, very open door. Uh, I I really like hold people accountable. People who work for me know that you, you have to work. We work hard, but we work hard together. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing that's really, really important, and I try to hold myself accountable to this as well, is you have to be vulnerable. You have to be able to show vulnerability because that's how people trust you. Um, you, you, if you don't know an answer, you know, you don't have to be, just because I'm the leader in the room doesn't mean I'm the smartest person in the room, but I'm going to defer to the person who does know the answer and say, you know what, you know, so-and-so, can you answer this? And you have to be able to do that because, um, it creates teams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have teams and, you know, you, you have to have healthy conversations and you're not always going to agree and that's okay. But people have to be able to speak about how they feel and in a professional manner, what their feedback is, what they're thinking, because you're not going to get the best ideas. And, um, you know, doing all that, then that's what helps the, the, the company, it helps the employees, it helps the shareholders, it helps the clients. So it's all, you know, it really st- starts with, with that and setting the tone. Um, and creating a really great culture. That, that's, that's very, very important. You had talked about having a, a, a key mentor in your life, and I think that's something so many people want, and, and yet can be so hard to find. One, to find the right person, and two, to establish that kind of relationship. It's kind of awkward to go up and say, will you be my mentor? And that's <laughs> not often how it happens. Can you talk about how your mentorship relation developed, and what were some of the really key lessons you took away from that mentorship? You know, um, this person happened to also be my boss. Doesn't always happen that yeah. way, um, but this person was, um, and they had a vested interest in in my development. You know, they were the type of person that really they saw uh, something and they they wanted to be part of the development. Um, you have to take ownership of your career. Mm. You can't expect someone to just come up to you and I mean sometimes that happens it does you know and if we're having career conversation with with our our team uh, our our direct reports you know hopefully you're going to be able to uncover what people want to do but you also have to take ownership of what you want to do and you know I was pretty overt about what I wanted to do with my career and I I made sure that I put myself in situations where you know I would volunteer and go above and beyond um but as far as the mentor, um, the mentor themselves has to have a vested interest in you, and you have to have some kind of relationship where you, you know, you kind of understand each other. Um, I don't think, you know, just asking that you're right, that it, it, it's difficult to do that. A lot of times it just develops naturally. Um, I think now, and, you know, probably over the last 10 years, um, there's been a lot of focus on leadership development. So there's a lot better programs where you are able to find a mentor. But the one of the biggest advices I can give to anyone is take ownership of what you want to do and make sure that you're seeking out people that you know you want to ask. I remember when I when I first started at First Union, there was somebody there that was doing very, very, very well. Like extremely well compared to everyone else. And I said, I want to sit with that person. <laughs> they wanted me to train with somebody else. And I said, no, 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 I want to train with this person. And and I actually spent time with that person. So that's kind of an example of, you know, look at 
who's around you and who do you want to mentor? Well, speaking of taking ownership of your career, let's talk about coming to Ledyard. Mm -hmm. And so um, Kathy Underwood had uh, successfully been leading the bank and they obviously had a succession plan in place. So Mm -hmm. she decided it was time for her to uh, considering retirement. Yes. Um, And so... And that led to you coming on board and working with her for, what, about a year? And yeah, a year taking, and a half, actually. Taking yeah. over mm-hmm. uh, fully as CEO. What attracted you to Ledger Bank? And what was it like going through that succession process? So um, I was in the process for looking for another opportunity. Somebody that I had worked with um, uh, in recruiting uh, aspect had contacted me and said, I have a great opportunity for you. It's per- it's perfect for your background. I really think that you should consider this. So we met and we talked about it, and she said to me that it's in New Hampshire. And I go, New Hampshire? So <laughs> I... <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> so, you know, I had I worked for Santander for... Um, you know, for about five years. And I was in New England a lot. I mean, obviously, I lived in Connecticut. We'd go to Vermont all the time. New Hampshire was the one state of all the New England states. New Hampshire <laughs> and Maine, actually, that I really didn't know anything about it. You know, just primaries and things like that. Right. But, but um, had never really um, been in the States. So I looked at the opportunity and... Um, I looked at the bank. I did a lot of research on, you know, Kathy, what she had done. The ba- and um, and I was very intrigued. And I'm like, this is a great opportunity. I'm, uh, I want to. I, I really do want to pursue it. So um, in the process of interviewing and you know coming on board, um, I had to do a lot of research about New Hampshire because I I had to actually um, put a plan in place on how I would grow the bank. That's mm. that's how my interview process went. And um, did a lot of lot of research on the bank, on the competitors, on the opportunity, on you know the growth, on the all everything that you could imagine about demographics and other banks and um, and the bank itself and Kathy and I was really 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 impressed and I felt like it was a great opportunity and um, loved loved everything I was seeing and hearing about the area and the culture and um, I was fortunate enough to be selected for the position and I was very very excited. So that actually, it's two years ago, Wednesday, a uh, week from tomorrow. Oh, that wow. I'm, that, I'm, that uh, is my two-year anniversary with the bank that I actually started. And, um, well, happy anniversary. Thank yes. you. Thank you. So speaking of growth uh, with the bank, um, in 2022, I know the bank had executed a three-year strategy plan um, that included rebranding the branches um, into financial centers, uh, growing the wealth management division. Um, what was your involvement in these initiatives and how have they uh, as a whole uh, helped uh, boost the bank, the bank's mission. Sure. So you know the bank obviously was a very successful bank. Uh, one of the unique um, avenues of the bank is that we have uh, we're a community bank, but we have a very large wealth arm, um, which is very unique in, in community banking. And the bank was very focused on on wealth and um, and growing the wealth side, and we wanted to also grow the bank side. So when I first came on board, um, I was charged with basically making sure that the foundation was ready for the bank to grow. So looking at every avenue in terms of efficiencies, um, you know, technologies, client-facing, um, employee-facing, and, um, you know, and also client experience. So I spent the first year working with the entire team 
making sure that we had all the right foundation in place. One of the things that we did was we started um, using an external company to do surveys of our clients. And, you know, our surveys are, are they're outstanding. They're off the charts. They loved us. But we also got great feedback on things that we had to work on. So we took that feedback very seriously. Um, I met with almost everyone in the bank the first few months I was there to get their feedback to say, okay, we're doing things really well, but what can we do better? What do we need? So, you know, taking all that feedback into consideration, working with a, a great team of people, um, we made a lot of strides in the first year. And then in September of 2022, we, you know, we created the strategic plan, which is a three-year plan around our long-term growth. Um, we have a great team. Even our, you know, everyone's open to change. Um, one thing that I think helps us with this and um, helped us over the last year is uh, our unique focus around one Ledyard. So what one Ledyard means is every business line is on board, working together toward a common goal. We break down all the silos, you know, wealth, commercial, retail, residential, and the back office. And we are working together as a team to present the best options and solutions for our clients. With that, the experience was great. I had the opportunity to work alongside with the CEO, but I also had the opportunity to, um, while I was transitioning, learn everything about the bank. It's one thing to just jump into the role and then I was able to, from the ground up, meet everybody, learn about everybody, work with everybody, and then create relationships that now that I'm the CEO, I may have not had, have been able to develop all that if the transition was different. It's nice to have had that time to be able to build those relationships. That's great. And so the last few years, we have seen a lot of activity in the New Hampshire market in terms of a lot of out-of-state banks seeing the opportunity here in the state mm -hmm. and expanding into it. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how does that affect Ledyard National Bank and your efforts and your market share? And how do you make sure that you remain competitive in light of that? Yeah, so we, I, we are a very unique bank. We, um, our vision is the bank that makes your life better. And everything that we do, we do around that vision. So we know that we need to grow in order to remain relevant. We know that we need to expand. We know that, you know, the clients demand great service, great experience. They want the community banks to be able to offer what a large bank is offering. And we have the capability of doing that. We, that's what we've worked on for the past year and a half. We can offer anything to a client and probably sometimes even more um, because we can also offer that personalized service. So we've done a lot of work around creating efficiencies, as I said, around digitizing, um, around upgrading all of our services, our client-facing services, um, budgeting tools, credit tools, identity theft tools. We, we have everything 
that a large bank offers, but we have the personalized service. And what one of, and you know, obviously we're always working on that. You know, the the, the uh, transition of the fi- the branches to financial centers, making them not transactional. Everybody's a banker. Everyone can do everything. We don't have tellers and platform. We have bankers that can do everything for you. Is all around. Um, a client can choose how they want to bank, whether it's online, whether it's call center, which is another thing that we expanded, whether it's in person, and we want them to have the same experience no matter where they go. So we feel that we are in a very unique position to compete because, again, we are able to offer all of this to our clients. Plus, um, we know them, and um, you know we can really, really service them. And personalized service is one of the things that's really important to us. There's so many trends that have been transforming banking, and you touched on a lot of them in your last answer, and certainly talking about you're serving so many generations that want so many, so much out of the bank. You have younger generation that, um, and not to generalize, I mean, this can cross generations, but typically younger generation that wants to have that more digital experience, uh, the easy access to a lot of services online, older generation that you know, may want to come in and have that more personalized touch. And I've always gone into my bank and I want to continue going into my bank. What are the trends you, you're, as you look forward that you see are going to be transforming the next um, few years of banking and, and what people are going to want and how you meet those needs? Yeah, it's very interesting because um, even though Gen Z have, you know, most of them have not even been in a bank or have written a check, if you ask them, they still, um, if, they, if they need help, they want to be able to call someone. So thinking about that, and, you know, we have, an, we have um, more of an aging clientele here, you know, in, in New Hampshire. Um, but you, so you, it's very important that you begin to bank the next generation. You have to provide, and, and we're, we're in the process of doing this this year, um, digitized solutions so that they want to bank with you, but that if they have a problem, they can call. And um, right now, uh, we are going to be introducing in the second quarter uh, an upgrade to our account opening. So we're going to have um, an upgraded online account opening and an in-service, in-branch uh, in uh, account opening where it's going to take five minutes to open an account. It's going to be very, very simple, whether you're a small business or whether you're uh, a consumer. Um, and then, but along with all of that convenience, you know, you call the 800 number and a person's going to answer. So you have to be out there listening to what that generation wants. And there's still a lot of work that has to be done around that. You know, we're still in the process of ensuring that um, we're keeping up with that and we're relevant and we're gathering the next generation. But in addition to the convenience and personalization, which is very important, you also have to be able to offer um, a person the humanization. It's the digitization with the humanization that is going to set you apart. And I think that's what the next generation wants. And Lillard's footprint is primarily uh, in the Upper Valley of New Hampshire and Vermont. Is there plans to expand that geographic footprint or is the focus really on growing services? So we, we have a multi-pronged approach, but we've, we have branched out into Concord, yeah. which has been really successful. Um, you know, we still have a lot of opportunity in Concord, but it's gone really well. 
We really um, organically want to grow into um, expanded parts of New Hampshire, southern New Hampshire. You know, we love Bedford, New Amherst, um, uh, Dover, Manchester, and um, digitally we're going to be able to do that first. But then we also would like to, to have a physical footprint as well. So we are looking to expand in our growth plan. So as you move forward, uh, what... what What's your next on your agenda for Ledyard and for yourself? Um, well, we have four major focus areas this year um, it, it, as part of our strategic plan. I've spoken about some of them. Um, we, we continue to um, hire great talent and develop our employees. That's really important. We spent a lot of time developing and adding new kinds of training last year. We're going to continue to do that this year. Um, our marketing, we're going to change up our marketing a little bit this year. We're going to do some videos, so look for that. Um, and um, I think you're going to hear a lot about um, our, some of our small business options and also our new um, digital onboarding. So that's the big focus for this year, and uh, I think that's going to carry us um, well into the end of the year and, and, and hopefully create more success for us. Well, excellent. Well, Josephine, thank you for sharing your, your story with us. Um, we're excited to see uh, where Ledyard goes in the future and the expansion of digital and perhaps physical locations. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Josephine Moran is president and CEO of Ledyard National Bank in Hanover. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Christine Kerrigan. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group. Mm-hmm.